Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City. This is Heart of the Matter, where we are learning together how to live as Christians in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we seek you in spirit and truth. Grateful that you loved us so much you gave us your, your son and uh, your only uh, begotten son. Grateful for the Holy Spirit. We pray that we'll be attuned to what uh, you have to teach us. And we pray that the things that are said that are incorrect will be forgotten. And help Seth and Wendy and Mags and Mary as they monitor the phones and the uh, technology. And help us through this uh, strange time in, in human history. This, uh, this, this very unique time. So teach us and we just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. That very unique time I'm talking about is the coronavirus. Oh, you can't say that. Uh, it's, oh, it's okay now. It's the virus. And we're all in lockdown. We're on quarantine. I, we weren't able to say coronavirus before, I guess, because something would happen with YouTube. YouTube has caused us some problems lately. Uh, we have paid for and gotten written permission for all the music we use and have used in the past, but it's not enough. And so YouTube goes through, and I'm not saying it's malicious, and they have uh, uh, this... Um, uh, <laughs> They have this um, algorithm and it searches through all the programming it gets. And if it comes up to any music that it recognizes, it, it stops you and it says, hey, listen, you're using music that belongs to somebody else. Now, we've gotten permission. We've paid for the music we use. But even my own daughter, we can't use her music because it belongs to her. YouTube doesn't know that we have permission. It doesn't know we've paid for it. It just says, hey, you're using someone else's music. So therefore, we get these notices in the email and it says, we're not going to let you monetize your video anymore. Or worse, it says we're blocking this video altogether. It's not going to air on YouTube. And everything we run now is through YouTube. So that's uh, kind of how it works. And as a result, we're going to cut all of our music out from the intros that we've done in the past, and we're just going to give you a little short sound snippet that we create sometime in the future until further notice. Really sorry to the talents that have uh, participated in providing us with the music in the past. That's Steve Utley and, and Mallory and, and uh, Tarantella, uh, Cal Cahoon, and, uh, and none of that is going to be used. We're just going to come up with something else. And also, sorry to Cassidy, who's put together our montages that we've used to, uh, at the beginning too. So really good musicians, really good talent. Maybe this will be overcome in the future and we'll get back to it. Well, we're over a month into the lockdown due to the quarantine. Hundreds of thousands of churches sitting empty. And uh, I have a question, you know, is God angry at the human race for not going to church during this time? Is he really angry at everybody? You know, you know how church makes you feel like you got to be there or God's going to kind of be disappointed with you. What's he doing during this? Is he, is he just really frustrated or, you know, have, have people turned from God because they haven't played church in four or five weeks? Doesn't the Holy Spirit that lives within, uh, lives within believers sustain all people, no matter what their location is? You know, if you're in your house or you're in a lockdown prison room or, or uh, uh, out in nature, doesn't the Holy Spirit that abides in you by faith in Christ sustain you? Do you have to go to church on weekends to get a fill-up of the Holy Spirit? You don't. It's, being, it's proven. You're still a Christian. If you were a Christian before the quarantine, you're a Christian now. And you haven't had to step one 
foot into a church in order to renew your Christianity. How many churches have stepped up, by the way, and assisted their tithe-paying congregates with some real financial help? I want to know that because I'm seeing a lot of uh, a different approach out there, and it's not this. Perhaps people, instead of going to church and hearing what a man demands on them since they've been sitting home, have actually opened up the Bible and read it themselves. And, and, and maybe they see themselves and, uh, as hiding in that regular church attendance. So, you know, use this time to really reflect upon yourself and what all that churching has meant to you and what it does for you in your direct relationship with Jesus Christ. We've seen some interesting things uh, come out of the religious manipulators of late. This is kind of a, a, a troubling video only because the wind is blowing and it makes the sound tough. But we're going to take a look at it. Just check out what this guy has to say. Hashtag Pastor Spell Stimulus Challenge. Free rules. Number one, April the 19th, 2020. It begins. Rule number two, donate your stimulus money. Rule number three, donate it to evangelists. North American evangelists who haven't had an offering in a month missionaries who haven't had an offering in a month, music ministers who haven't had an offering in a month. I'm donating my entire stimulus, $1,200. My wife is donating her stimulus, $1,200. My son is donating his stimulus, $600. Hashtag Pastor Spell Stimulus Challenge. If you don't have a church, give through my website, www ltcbr.com Larry Tango Charlie Baton Rouge.com I'm here on the Mississippi River I'm here at Red Stick Baton Rouge Hashtag Pastor Spell Stimulus Challenge Hashtag Pastor Spell Stimulus Challenge Hashtag Pastor Spell Donate I'll give my 1200 stimulus packs and if you don't have a church send it to me through our website Hashtag Stimulus Package my wife give $1,200 and I give $1,200. My baby give her $500. My, my crippled son give his $500 back to the church and the people. They're going to be the music ministry. <laughs> Sorry, I just got caught up in the whole thing. <laughs> I, I can't stand it, man. I can't stand it. I'd say if you got money from the stimulus package, keep it. Use it for your family. Use it to pay your bills. And let those people who are living off church get their money somewhere else. Oh, boy. The video isn't surprising because in the course of human history, religions have done a number on people and peoples around the world when troubling time come, uh, times come. You remember, uh, just like think about what the Roman Catholic Church did in the Crusades where the Pope, the Pope, the Pope militarized the masses, masses, oh my gosh, and uh, hundreds of thousands of Muslims and Jews were slaughtered, uh, all in the name of the kingdom of God. They say Pope Urban II even claimed that if you participated in uh, the Crusades, that your eternal sanctification was guaranteed, you know, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag crusades uh, and oh that was the catholics right those darn catholics 
Protestants aren't much better. They've had their moments too. Have you ever heard of the great Irish uh, potato famine? You know, it, it happened between 1845 and 1849 in Ireland, and it had experienced a number of crop failures and which amounted to the whole country falling into horrible famine. I mean, really, really bad. And uh, this produced a perfect storm for religious atrocities. And I'm going to tell you what the Protestants did during that time. But really quick, let me give you some quick history of, the, uh, of Ireland. About 1000 AD, Ireland was almost entirely Catholic. They fully were, had embraced Catholicism. And the Protestant Reformation pops up around 1530 AD. And England took the church and went toward kind of this amalgamation of Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. And they gave us this idea called the the Church of England, really Protestant in the end, but with rituals. And so, but so England, it became Protestant with the Church of England, but Ireland said, hey, to heck with you, we are staying Catholic, right? (laughs) So when England began to insert itself into Ireland and its governing affairs, and especially through plantation ownership uh, initially, the cocky Protestants that came from England, they refused to let their children engage with the Catholic children. They considered them dirty and poor and uneducated. And the Protestants from the Church of England, they came in and they thought, we are just above that. It wasn't for theological reasons that they wouldn't let them merge. It was really because the Protestants looked down on the poor Catholics. So the English Protestants thought the Catholics were just kind of wretched. And uh, of course, that creates friction between the two groups and it became heated. Well, along comes this famine, 1845 to 1849, and a million, a million Irish people starved to death. That's one country, a million people died. Talk about, you know, uh, bad times, right? And what did some of those Protestants do in the face of that famine? Um, They literally opened up schools and they opened up little huts. And in those uh, schools and huts, they offered soup. And, but you could only get the soup if you were a Protestant. And so they had schools where, and remember Ireland is predominantly Catholic. So you have all these Catholic kids who were starving to death. And they'd come to the school and the Protestants running the school would say, you can't have any soup unless you renounce your Catholicism and embrace, uh, you know, Protestantism. And these people became uh, uh, called, they were called supers and or the ones who took the soup. And it was really a blight on their character, because if you were so weak that you would give up the faith that would get you into heaven and save you from hell, Catholicism, by taking that cup of soup that the Protestants would give you, it was just a social and cultural shame upon your back. And the little children, you know, they're giving up the Pope, they're getting up, giving up everything Catholic so they can eat. And they were called those who took the soup. And um, really, never supposed to be. Men and women made this stuff so. Finally, you know, not finally, but you've heard of apartheid, right? And the Dutch Reformed Church in South Africa, they took remote Bible passages, strung them together, 
and they began to manipulate and oppress the vast majority of people in their country in the name of God. And it allowed them, the Dutch Reformed, to see those people who were Zulus and these other tribes in Africa, South Africa, as subhuman. And they began to treat those people that way as subhuman. These are people who are reading the Bible, saying they follow Christ. It's like in the Crusades. They're people who, who read the Bible and say they follow Christ. It's the Protestants in Ireland who say they read the Bible and follow Christ, who are letting kids starve unless they renounce their Catholic faith. And of course, you know, there's, there's all sorts of mistreatment in the name of religion. Horrors in the name of religion. The Mormons and the Fancher Party massacre, Mountain Meadows massacre, and the World Trade Center attacks, uh, uh, both on the same date, by the way. And uh, all of the individual acts of ill will and meanness and bias and coldness by people of faith toward others who are not of their faith. So the stuff is only scratching the surface, but right below the surface, most religious people in relation to others treat people badly if they don't believe like they believe. And I've had to learn that over time. I really had to grow up and start to see things differently relative to that. But hear me clearly, not one bit of this is part of Christianity. Not one bit of it. None of it or anything like it uh, is of the Holy Spirit. And all of it could have been avoided if people saw God as having reconciled the entire world to himself through the victorious work of his son 2,000 years ago. And that the only thing that matters now is the love that you have for him and the love you have for other people at the end of the day. So today, our nation and the world really sitting in religious silence and all around the world, it's been that way for about five weeks, except for some of the pastors who are breaking uh, rank and going out and doing church anyway. And when all of this lifts, go back to the church and propose something different. Propose something different to your pastors. You know, go to the boards if you're still going to go to a brick and mortar and just say, let's not do what we've done in the past. Let's change something about what we've done. Insist that your leaders love everybody all the time, every time, and not just those who correspond to their insular worldviews. We can use what we have seen and experienced recently for the betterment of the world. And we can start off by actually admitting how much little value institutional religion has in our lives if you know the Lord. And uh, just maybe start from there. So uh, let me end all that rant with a bit of hopeful history, however. I forgot about this. In the 1800s, Christian missionaries, they had worked for decades in China to not very much success. And they couldn't understand why the Chinese were so resistant to the good news. And they wound up believing it was because of the Chinese depraved natures. They didn't have the ability to, uh, to um, receive the light of the gospel. That's what they attributed it to, right? Just like in apartheid, they looked down on, uh, on the South Africans, the Afrikaans, or just like in uh, the Crusades, they looked down on the Muslims and the Jews, and that allows you to kill them, right? So uh, these missionaries would walk around in their groups. They wouldn't really get in with the Chinese, and they would dress in their English apparel, and uh, they would never speak the language of the natives or hang out with them. And their approach to sharing Jesus was in part to impose their culture upon the Chinese. And it just, didn't, just didn't, wasn't accepted. The Chinese just wouldn't take their culture mixed with this message they were trying to give. And you see, that's what religions do. They impose their culture, 
their own proprietary culture on anyone and everyone that they can find. And if they don't push it internally, uh, I mean, if they don't push it initially, uh, they will push it later. You know, they love bomb you. I was talking uh, to somebody, Mary maybe the other day, about religions will love bomb you into their ranks. And then once you get in their ranks, they'll, uh, they'll treat you badly if you don't conform. And so there's a man named Hudson Taylor who showed up in China after all this trials and failure, and he tossed out all his uh, European clothes, and he put on a Chinese uh, outfit, and he grew his hair out, and he learned their very difficult language. And that proved to be the key to reaching into the hearts of people is he removed the cultural push that came with his religion, that you must embrace, you know, this imperialist uh, American Jesus. And he just became like them and he taught them what the, the, uh, the good news was about. And something the Holy Spirit, which is spirit, started doing back in the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people from all over the world, uh, I mean, from all over that area, they came from and were speaking different languages. The Holy Spirit spoke to them all. And, and ignored their cultures that they came from and, and brought the good news. And so God knew that in order for his truth to permeate the world with all of its permutations, that the faith had to be transmitted outside the confines of brick and mortar because brick and mortar will always promote its culture and itself and its agendas over the simple truths uh, and over the individual person. It will always take the collective and say the collective has to mean that's why the, the the Mormons are kind of insidious is that you've got to fit in with the Mormon collective culture you've got to be a Mormon to be a Mormon and that's not what Christianity is even though many Christians try to do that with it institutions will always mix money and culture and politics and rituals and rites and obediences and the fact uh, with that with the fact that Jesus saved the world and uh, and it just doesn't work so it's time. Let's get real. Let's turn from these organizations. They've been shut down for five weeks. Woo! Let's let them be shut down for five months, five years, until those places can be used for hospitals or for uh, laser tag uh, places or something. And, uh, and uh, uh, let's, let's embellish and embrace the unencumbered relationship we have with God directly through his son, stripped of all religion, just directly with his son by faith, and let's leave those churches empty. Got an email, uh, Wendy, I hate to bother you, but I am out of water. Will you grab me one? You're the best. Got an email from a man named George. It says, Dear Sean, two years ago, I took the time to research the history of Mormonism, and after many hours of in-depth study, realized what I had been taught and believed for 58 years was all a lie. And uh, I've been in the same boat, George. Uh, people like yourself went from being a heretic to a hero. And I applaud, uh, thank you, Wendy, the work you have done and are doing to expose the organization for what it really is. Then he says, the problem I came up against was applying the same kind of reasoning to the Bible, starting with Adam and Eve and on through the New Testament. If you don't mind me asking, remember, if you don't mind me asking, how do you deal with this in your own life? For example, the fact that the Gospels were not written until years after the fact and things of that nature. I would love to believe I'm just not believing anymore. Thank you for your time, George. So 
It's a really good question from George. Um, it's not unique to him, frankly. Many people, especially XLDS people, face a similar issue when they find themselves burned by the uh, untruths of Mormonism. So George asked me, how do you do it? How do you read this Bible and accept these things that Adam and Eve, or the fact that the Gospels were written after the fact, and all these things? Let me just handle those things really quickly. Uh, the Gospels written after the fact. Jesus said to his apostles, listen, I'll bring all things to your, the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. What's what I've said to you. So the belief is that the, the, the Gospels were written by virtue of the Holy Spirit. That is how they're written. So it doesn't matter if they're written the day after Jesus died or 400 years after he died. Uh, the belief is behind that is that the Holy Spirit. But that's just a standard answer to that one. I just thought I'd throw it in there. Um, I want to point out to you that when we compare physical evidences, George, between Mormonism and the stories that are written in um, ink on paper uh, between the LDS and Christianity, it's apples and car parts. It's not close. So you're kind of making a comparison that you discovered that Mormonism was false by your study, and now you're looking at the Bible and you're discovering the same thing. When you look at the two, they are really two different worlds. There's a genetic group of people that are called the Jews. There are no genetic people uh, called the Lamanites or the Mulekites or the Nephites. We don't have a genetic history of those people. And the Jews have an actual land with an actual verifiable history. And there are archaeological supports for them. There's tremendous manuscript evidence for the Old Testament, and there's tremendous manuscript evidence for the New Testament, and on and on and on. There's not a single coin from Zarahemla. There's not a single fragment of ancient Egyptian papyrus, and there's not one ounce of historical support for the LDS scriptural claims. None. So you are looking, my brother, at the Rocky Mountain range of mountains, in comparatively, of Judaism, to a grain of sand of Mormonism when it comes to supportive materials. You don't have to agree with the Rocky Mountain uh, amount of evidence. You can believe that it's all been misinterpreted and confabulated and created to make this Bible and everything else, and it's full of myth. But nevertheless, when you're talking about a purely material footprint between Mormonism and biblical Christianity, there, it's night and day, my brother. So that's where I start, okay? Secondly, I am constantly coming against, up against things that have been promoted in the organized uh, group of Christianity that are not right and are cultural and they're man-made and do not withstand scrutiny like what you're giving the Bible. And for this, I'm attacked by keepers of the faith, just like you're attacked when you're a Mormon and you go after the legitimacy of the all things Mormon. You get attacked by the policemen of the faith. Well, I'm attacked too, but um, it doesn't stop me from accepting the truths I find that replace the lies. Okay, so let me just give you a case in point. If someone says, oh, you know, Noah, he fit all the animals of the world into that ark. Now, when you're young, you're taught that and you kind of believe it. You don't know how. And then you get older and you're kind of wondering about it. And you have some preachers come up with some solutions, you know, like he shrunk the animals down. 
or they didn't have to defecate while they were on the ark or eat. And there's all kinds of things men come up with. And then you sort of start saying, okay, I got to find out what this is about. So I go and I dig in and I find out it could have been a geographical flood very easily. And it could have been within a basin where mankind had not spread out beyond that basin relative to the time and course of history since Adam and Eve. And that all the animals of that area could have easily fit into, or not all the animals, but two of two and two and four of the other kind could have fit into that ark and all of that stuff. And then you come up with a solution that says, well, that's viable. I can accept the story, but I don't have to accept it as it's interpreted, interpreted today. So third, I am of the opinion that God, who I see as God, um, allows all people, and this is important, uh, my friend, I believe God allows all people to discover exactly what they want to find. And I, I don't know if many people believe this, but I believe this. God allows you and he allows me to find exactly what we are looking for. Okay? That includes me. So, if someone is out only to discover fraud in a religious system, that's all they'll find because you're finding what you want to discover. And if you're out to discover chinks in the armor of things, you'll find chinks in the armor. When you step back and you say, I'm not only searching for chinks in the armor, I want to know the truth of something too, you'll find both. You'll start to see both. That's what happened to me in Mormonism. At first, I wanted to find the chinks in the armor when I found out some of it were lies. And then I built upon that and I built a whole body of all the problems with it. But then I stepped back and said, show me the truth. And I can see truths in it now too. We find what we're searching for. All right. The difference for me, you asked about me, is I honestly, hand to God, I swear, as far as I know, I want to discover only what is true. Okay, absolutely true relative to God. I don't care about the truth of geometry. I don't care about the truth of uh, biology. I care about truth relative to God. That's what my heart desires. I don't, I, and the truth of God will include then the lies about God because you find out the lies about God are not true. So then you learn that the truths of God are. So when your heart is open for truth alone relative to God, I believe he gives you what you want. I don't want to merely discover the lies. And my heart of hearts is on discovering the truths about him. And with God as my witness, I believe that is what I ultimately find. So on the two-way street that runs down between the, it's called the relationship between God and man. And it's a two-way street. Um, if someone only wants to find cracks and faults, and reasons not to have faith, you will. And you get what you want. God's a good God. He'll give it to you. Now, I have always personally sought for more. I have always personally sought to know him better. Okay? Finally, I balance all this out with results. And let me explain that to you. I look at what truths I have received and what they actually produce in my life to see if they have merit. If the truths that I have believe I've received do not produce fruit of love, 
for other people, then I know the thing I've embraced is faulty. So I've tried the course of Mormonism and it made me look like a good guy outwardly, but I, I, was, inside, I was worldly and I was a dick. Okay, so the fruit of Mormonism made me proud, worldly, and a dick in my heart. So I knew there's something wrong with the end product of what it's doing. Uh, Externally, it worked. Internally, it wasn't working. Um, I tried Marxism. I tried nihilism. I tried objectivism. I tried Buddhism to a certain extent. A lot of the ists and isms but none of them changed the whole package. They all just changed part of what was going on. And so therefore, none of them could uh, change the outward behavior and inward condition of a heart that loves. So it's pretty simple. I have honestly discovered, for me, you asked, that surrendering my life will heart might emotions over to Jesus as the Lord of my life has changed what by nature in me is pretty vile. And so I have become more selfless, not selfless, more merciful, not completely, more generous, more kind, more patient, more long-suffering, more loving, all as a result of pursuing him in truth, not only looking for the uh, lies of him, but also the truth of him, making my heart centered on finding him, and then, and then challenging things that don't measure up. So that's the package, really, uh, of, of how I did it. You asked, how do I do it? That's how I do it. And I don't stand on tradition. I don't stand on religion. I go by that process. And if whatever I'm discovering and finding leads me to being a better Christian, which is defined by loving God and loving neighbor with all my heart, I embrace that. All right? And so that's, I hope that helps. All right. So a comments from last week's show. Kenneth Copeland is definitely a creeper. His wife too. (laughs) We have a video. Let's see the video of Kenneth Copeland. On you. On you. You are destroyed forever. You are destroyed forever. And you will never be back. <laughs> oh my. A strong, it doesn't have to be a fast wind. Didn't say anything about it being blowing no 40 miles an hour. Don't have to. Just what the hell? Hey, we know what hot is in Texas. <laughs> this thing is going to hit in New Orleans. Well, I'm telling you, it gets hot down there. I mean, like Jesse says, it's Africa hot down there, man. Because it's, it's right there on the coast. It gets muggy. And that's what it takes to kill this thing. It hates heat. It hates humidity. It hates water. It just dies. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I don't know how it happens. I don't, it's just fascinating.
That guy is multi-billionaire guy. I don't even know. Anyway, uh, Kenneth Copeland is definitely a creeper, and his wife, too, said this comment. I didn't put their name. I'm sorry. Davy Jones said, love your opening rant regarding pretentious leaders. My feeling exactly. The people are perfect fine. The LDS church is not. The, perf- the people are perfect uh, fine. The LDS church is not. On COVID-19, I did the fasting. I doubt the fasting did any good. However, the latest projections on deaths in the USA due to the CV is down to about 40K or standard flu numbers. Not bad considering the projections in March were 1 to 2 million deaths. That was revised about mid-March around 200K to 100K, then to 60K, now 40K, or the typical yearly flu death expectation. The corona hysteria promoting fear mongers will say, see house arrest, social distancing, washing hands and wearing clothes did the job. No, sorry, Bubba. Denmark, Sweden, right? Refused to shut down and their death stats are in line with all other nations. All it did was manage to screw up the world economy. It was economic terrorism, a planned demic. Thanks for all you do, Sean. It's a good point. I don't know what to think about all this stuff. I'm not politically minded. I'm not world minded. I don't pay attention. So you guys have all the ideas and insights. I have just what I see. I don't know, but uh, maybe there's something to that. I know right now they're testing people for antibodies in California. Apparently there's 450,000 people who have antibodies in their body uh, that resist the COVID-19, meaning they have contracted or contracted, contacted the disease and had it and didn't die and didn't even know and went on with life like people. And so there's that too. I don't know what's going on with it. It's crazy stuff. Jerry Miller says, Sean, are, uh, you explain Christianity so well. Love our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm right with you, Jerry. That's, that's what it's all about, you know, our love for him and what he did for us, the love for God who sent his son. Love, uh, love him so much, and I'm grateful that people like you tune in. Bird says, after 190 years, still looking for a name that is expressive to the core distinctions of the LDS sect. For me, it has become irreducible as follows. Choice A, Church of Joseph Smith of Latter-day Prophets. Choice B, Church of Joseph Smith of Latter-day Prophets. Uh, very uh, witty brother, Bird. Tom Stallings, he's the guy who we had on the show. I did several interviews with him in a row. He really uh, has a story about the ecclesiastical abuses of, uh, from the LDS church upon his life. He says, great job, Sean. The virus has showed the world how fake the Mormon corporation really is. They have been, they have been being exposed at full speed for the last few years. I'm so grateful they knew you could not be bought. They cover up so much abuse and manipulation. Your true inspiration of a true leader and disciple should be. Thank you for being real and honest. Thank you, Brother Tom. That's one thing we know about you. You're a real honest guy. And I love the honesty that you shared when we interviewed. Have great memories of that. Maybe someday we can get together again. John O'Reardon. Whoo. Great show. Oh, yeah. You taught I was Sean O'Fallon. LOL. I'm from Ireland, Dublin. (laughs) God bless everyone. So one of our uh, fans out in Ireland, he wrote and. I guess I accused him of being John O'Reardon, John O'Fallon. Charlie Clark says, thank you and your staff. Would love to buy you all lunch, but not sure how to go about it. Uh, You know what, dude? I don't know about you guys, but the weight is just packing on. I can't work out like I used to because I closed the dang gym. So I'm screwed and I am turning into a hippopotamus. 
I am I'm a living hippopotamus because of this corona. I think we're all going to exit our houses and it's going to be a freak show. <laughs> we'll be alcoholics and, and obese people because of this. Uh, so as far as lunch, Charlie, thanks, but I don't think any of us need it. Dave Corrigan said, so glad you can still function. Man, oh man, do you have a great big archive. You will continue to influence people long after you can't do your thing. I hope that people gravitate to your channel during this lockdown. Got to keep, we got to keep our heads, our heads while everyone around us is losing theirs. Amen to that. Thanks, Dave. The archive is big and we're grateful that God has let us do it. I hope we can continue to contribute to it. Kaija Sushi says, thank you, Sean, for all that you do. Thank you for watching. Another comment from Bird. He says about the handkerchief waving, look up Joseph Smith and the handkerchief on a search engine and you will find the story of how Joseph Smith had another leader, Woodruff, wave a white handkerchief and heal two children with some sickness. So the presidency is doing the same thing to cure coronavirus from among the millions or billions of people. Lori Nelson says, are you referring to the prosperity gospel? That was from our show that we aired um, last Tuesday night, the live show. And probably prosperity gospel is neither. It's neither the prosperity and it's neither the gospel. I can't stand it. Um, username 123 wrote, being consistent is key. At 12 minutes, Sean, you said about a minute later, you don't see it in the way Jesus described. Can you elaborate, especially given the context of being consistent with scripture and what you quoted Jesus as saying? Thanks for your efforts to spread the gospel, share your testimony over the years and transition away from LDS into Christianity and for the variety of topics that you cover. Well, what he's talking about here is on the show last week, I said, you can't tell somebody, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. And then when someone calls religious leaders out on their stuff, say, that's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus did. And then when you say to them, it is what Jesus did, read Matthew 23. Uh, that's when Jesus called the Sadducees and uh, called the Pharisees and scribes out as hypocrites eight times and called them vipers and called them uh, 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 other pejoratives. And, and so if Jesus can call religious leaders out that way, then believers can. And what they'll say back to you is, you're not Jesus. And you say, wait a second, you tell me, follow Jesus, be like Jesus. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus would do that. You're supposed to be like Jesus. If you're supposed to be like Jesus, then you can do what Jesus did. And Jesus called religious leaders out all the time. Paul did too. He even called Peter out in front of everybody. So don't play that game. If we're supposed to follow Jesus, let's be like Jesus. And Jesus called religious leaders out. Matthew chapter 23, read about it. FY Style wrote, I love this vid. You must really work hard. Let's build each other up. Marcus Rigby, Rigby wrote cult. That's all that Rigby wrote. And, um, and so then let's get to our comments from last night's show. and We'll wrap it up if we don't have any calls. Uh, oh, wait, we do have one call. We'll get to Ethan in just a second. But I want to say something. This coming Monday, we're doing a show. I challenge you to watch it. Tell your friends to watch it, if you've, especially if you've been born and raised a Christian or if you've been a Mormon and you've come out. Watch the show and, uh, and then write your comments. We need to talk about this without animus and without hatred. We need to talk about this subject. 
So watch the show this coming Monday night. All right. Uh, on last week's show on enemies of the children, that's what it was called. James Lloyd wrote, I really liked how you explained the I die daily, as Paul would say, means to die to tradition, preconceived notions or beliefs, to immaturity, to sin, to peer pressure, etc. And that by doing so, we shake off, shake off the chains of bondage, become more free, happier, and see things much more clearly as we mature in Christ. Thank you. Thank you, James, for understanding that point, because it's important. We are dying to ourselves. We're dying to our flesh, and we're maturing in him. So I love that you got it. Cindy Tuttle said, This quote is what started me thinking it was all right to change my mind about things. And the quote is, Thoroughly unprepared, we take the step into the afternoon of life. Worse still, we take this step with a false presupposition that our truths and our ideals will serve us as hitherto. But we cannot live the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning. For what was great in the morning will be of little at the evening, and what in the morning was true at evening will have become a lie. End quote. And that's from Jung. Gustav from Carl Jung. And uh, I am a big fan of Jung after having been introduced to uh, his concepts by a uh, therapist friend of, of mine, of ours, of our family, Kelly. And she taught me about the difference between uh, Jung and um, Freud. And I realize it's all theory, but nevertheless, I like the collective and I like the archetypes that Jung spoke of. And I see the world in them, admittedly. Even as a believer, I definitely see Jung as having value. So I love that comment from Cindy. Common Sense Christianity, who is on the phone with us right now, Ethan. Uh, we're going to get to in just a second. He says, I love listening to the show while I do my homework. Oh, man. Thank you, Ethan. And then finally, Kirk Pryor said, I started following you years ago, and I'm an ex-Mormon. I watch your show now and then. But what I'm struggling with is someone who was able to find fault with the Mormons. And I know you have a different view to most Christian churches, but you still follow the Bible. I studied the history of the Bible and easily destroyed it without trying. But you who have been in it for years must see it's messed up. Jesus isn't the Messiah. That's incredibly easy to prove. Uh, I have to smile at this. I have to smile at, at Kirk um, because... The statements that um, I've been in the Bible for years, it's messed up, Jesus isn't the Messiah, and it's incredibly easy to prove. That is, that's like saying I can prove there is a silver dollar underneath a mountain rock on Jupiter. You can't prove that. You cannot believe it. You can't prove that he wasn't the Messiah. I, and so just by virtue, Kirk, of your logic that you're coming to me at, I can see that you're finding what you want to find. Kind of like I, what I said to our email or earlier. You're getting out of what you're getting from the Bible what you want to get. And I'm different than that. I want something uh, more. And if it's there, I'll take it. And if it's not, I won't. I rejected a lot of things the Bible says and what people say the Bible says. So I don't just swallow it hook, line, and sinker as you're sort of intimating. But uh, brother, 
uh, I can't say anything to you. If you don't see anything in it and you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, I love you. I, I will do whatever I can for you as a fellow citizen of this world and carry on. And let's see how God works it out in the end. All right, let's go to our call. Here we have, we have one call tonight, and that's Ethan. Ethan, what's up? What's up, Sean? Same old. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, so I, I had this interview today um, on my YouTube channel with my friend named Troy. I have no idea what his religious beliefs are until I had him on the show. Apparently, he's a polytheist, right? Hmm. And uh, and he's not like a Mormon or anything. He just believes that there's like a god for the wind and the ocean and stuff like more of a Greek mythology type thing. And I have no idea how to even combat this, in a sense, because I'm not used to it. I've been studying atheism and Mormonism for years. I have no idea how to uh, talk uh, about this particular subject with any convincing matter. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Woo! That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I would probably not go to the uh, point of polytheism and try to poke holes through that. But I would instead, uh, I guess, Ethan, try to balance the reasoning of uh, monotheism with him and the proofs of the monotheistic God relative to the nation of Israel. And, you know, by, you know, sort of paraphrasing the Bible and just throwing concepts out. That's what I would do, because I would have no idea how to try to punch holes through the polytheistic position. Do you? Uh, not really, because um, I don't even know how to describe this. So, like with atheism and like uh, and Mormonism, like there's certain evidences that you can discuss. You can discuss like this particular belief or this particular belief. But with his polytheism, it says he believes in God, no particular God. Yeah, so I can't necessarily focus on it specifically. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a slippery slope. Uh, no, I have no idea how to approach that, except yeah, well, to bear witness I of the I'll truth. Figure it out. It was a good conversation, though. It lasted almost an hour. That's awesome, brother. Well, uh, tell us the name of your uh, podcast for the audience. I know what it is. <laughs> Common Sense Christianity. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, pr- pretty much anywhere. Also, Instagram. And we have different content uh, for all three of those platforms. Uh, Ethan and I, Ethan was on the show a number of months ago, and then Ethan and I did a, a short interview with a couple LDS people on his podcast a week or so ago, and it was really uh, fun. It was, uh, it was their kids his age, and, and we were talking on there, and not combative, and just opened up ideas and thoughts, and it, it was really fun. I hope we can get together and do that again sometime, maybe on this show, Ethan. Oh, you know, I'm definitely up for that, and you know, the good thing is they really like you. They find you a nice, funny guy. I was talking <laughs> to them about it the other day. <laughs> That's funny. All right, brother, thanks for calling in. God bless you. All right. God bless you, too. Talk to you later, Ethan. Bye. Listen, we have some, we stream live through YouTube now, and I guess we're having some comments on that. Linda Bullwinkle said, thank you, Sean McCraney. We had a stillborn baby. This was talking about death. A few weeks ago on the show, back in 1994 when we were LDS, we left the church in 1998 and I became a Christian in 2001. I have often wondered about our lost child. 
where she was and what she was doing and the big one, uh, will I see her again? I'm still unclear on that last one. Now we are faced with another daughter who's battling cancer. Oh, I can't imagine, Linda. This is, uh, she, limited to my knowledge, I don't know her heart, is not a follower of Christ. I have always wanted to believe that it didn't matter, that God loves us regardless of our belief in him. Now I have scriptural truth to back up my belief. Thank you so much for loving the Lord and teaching truth. Uh, Thank you, Linda. I am so sorry for such heartache in your life. I can't imagine. It terrifies me uh, to think of a child, to lose a child and to have a child have cancer. And yet it does happen. Uh, But I can uh, uh, assure you with all my heart, God is my witness that those children, those people are loved and you will see them. I am certain of that. What capacity and how that works, I don't know. But this is a God who fixed and saved everything. And in him we trust because of what his son did. So uh, great, great comment. Uh, We have something here from Jim Smith says, thank you. We have Christy John. Is that Christy Johnson? Says, miss you, my friend, and your team. Much love. We love you, Christy. John T. Tanny says, fix reason firmly in her seat and call her tribunal fact, every fact, every opinion. Question with boldness even the existence of a God because if there be one, he must more approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. From Thomas Jefferson, he quotes. John Tanny is a great mind. He has a uh, medical practice here in Salt Lake Valley. He's a good friend, his family. And a great, great quote from Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Deanna Lynn Morris, I love that authentic heart. The heart God gives us. And uh, then Sandra McGuire, she comes to campus sometimes. She said, God bless you and your family. Nuku Tukia says, I wish you have a little title of the program so I know what this is all about. Seth, what's wrong with you? Why don't we have a title to the program so Nuku Tukia knows what... There is a title, he says, Nukia. Just like that, right back to you. Uh, Glenn Calder says, hi, Sean. Michael Adams gives a link. And then finally, something that kind of warms my heart. My wife and I, we have a friend, Deborah Preble. She wrote Way to Go, Sean, on the Facebook thing. Uh, Debbie, as she's known to me, is an old girlfriend. She goes way back. And the fact that she even watched the show and was willing to put Way to Go, Sean, uh, we're appreciative of that. And I just pray that, uh, that uh, her heart and mind are geared toward him. I think they probably are. And for her to even say Way to Go with that show, that was wonderful. Um, we have Will on line one. Will, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, sir. I uh, called in a month or two back. I was the guy that was Ray Jehovah, uh, Jehovah's Witness. And anyway, so I, uh, listening to the comment about the guy that said he could easily disprove the Bible or say that it wasn't, uh, that he could say that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and, and my research, there's been plenty of things that I've read in English. And, and the Bible translation, and said, man, I just can't get behind that. I can't agree with it. But then when you go back and study the original Hebrew, you study the original Greek. And it's it's funny that every time I've done that and, and looked at idioms, what words meant uh, at the time, and as far as etymology and then idioms, sayings of the day, 
And I've found so far that there's nothing I disagree with biblically. It's just a lot of times the English translation that doesn't quite capture it for how my brain works in English. Hey, that makes a lot of sense, brother. I love that. And it, and it like something like Second uh, John uh, nine through eleven that some people use for shunning. And when you actually go back and study that, and you look at the original language used, where it says, "Don't tell someone that believes in a different Jesus to rejoice," when you look at the etymology of that that, that idiom, it's something that goes back the original the original. Uh, I guess the first instance we have of that being used is in, in Homer's work, in like the 8th century B.C. Hmm. And it just meant, you know, don't tell someone to rejoice. It was something that was adapted by the, the early Christians to say, don't tell someone to rejoice in the Lord. Like, don't let them think you agree with their false Jesus. It didn't mean not to literally talk to someone, like in some English translations. And... Seth, and so anyway, that was just shot. a small example, and I know I'm just touching the surface of that. It would take a little bit more explanation. The other thing is I wanted to bring up was with the polytheism view. And, you know, I would actually challenge the traditional view of the Trinity, because when you go back to the original wording of saying that, you know, the Lord your God is one, the Hebrew word used there is akad. And that means it's the same word that's used for a couple that is married. And it, it doesn't mean singular. It means that there's more than one that are uh, in union, if you will. Mm. And, and so at the end of the day, though, does it matter if you agree with the Trinity or if you think that it's God is like a species of a few individuals that are one in unison? Did you compare that to the ancient... Uh, gods around Israel, they were always warring with each other. You could the Greek gods, there was always separation and warring. But when you then come to using the word akkad, it shows a unity in what represents God to the Hebrew people of that time. So those are my comments. Fascinating, Will. Great insights. Appreciate them, my brother. You sound good. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking the call. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. And that was actually a perfect lead-in from Will on this coming uh, Monday night's uh, Heart of the Matter. Tune in at 8 o'clock Mountain Time, and you can look for however Seth and Wendy promote this thing. But I think it's going to be an important discussion now because it's important to know, are these things uh, imperatives? Do these things um, truly, can they be defined and can they be understood? The things of Christianity, the things that are out there that we don't necessarily understand. I'm being a little bit vague about it because I want you to tune in here on Heart of the Matter.